Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. And so let's do that this morning. If you want to follow along as we get started in the message today, you can do so on the screens here. Uh, we also put the notes on the Version app. How many have the Bible app on their phone or smart device? If you just open that up, go to the More tab, select Events, you'll see Faith City Church Michigan Campus right at the top. And so I want to get started today. And if you want a title for today's message or talk, it would be this, Prodigal or Performer? Say it with me, Prodigal or Performer? Awesome. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I pray this morning that as we talk together here, as we share this, this journey and this experience, that it wouldn't be just our religious duty on a Sunday morning. We're actually here to receive something new, something that will bring freedom to our lives. Maybe it's just a, a really firm and good reminder of who we are and what we're about. And we choose to say yes to you today which brings repentance, which is changing our minds. And as we change our minds, it brings us into so much more freedom. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Uh, How many here are familiar with what dad jokes are? Yeah, dad jokes. I've got lots of dad jokes. It's not like I even try. And, And how you know it's a dad joke is if you say something, your kids go, dad right? Even my older kids say, seriously, but they laugh anyway. I don't know if it's to make me feel better or they're just like, this guy is a dork. So let's just laugh, whatever it is. But there's mom jokes too, right? There's dad jokes. There's mom jokes. There's parent jokes. And I was thinking about, have you ever found yourself sounding like your dad, sounding like your mom? I mean, there's times I'll go along and I'll say something and go, oh my God, that was my dad. Like it's a bad thing, right? Or like, oh my gosh, it's my dad. I'm acting like my dad. But it's just something inherent within us. And I believe that as we look into this story here, this parable that Jesus is telling today, we're going to see some really cool things about what it looks like when you start to act like your father, when you start to resemble your parents. So I want to look at this parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. He tells three parables here. He talks about the lost sheep. How many have heard of that? The lost sheep, beautiful story. The lost coin, a lot of beautiful things in that. We're going to talk about the lost son or the prodigal son today. And I know we've heard this before, but don't click off on me yet. I want to explore some things in this story. And as we do, we're also going to look at the eldest brother, which a lot of times we don't do. And we're going to make this comparison of kind of where they were as sons and how they saw their father. We'll also see a father who loved them both dearly. It's beautiful. So Luke chapter 15 Jesus is talking here, and and again, I I say this every week, but let's try to get into the first century Jewish mentality. How would they have heard this story? They would have heard it with Jewish ears, right? And every time Jesus told a parable, this is the beauty of parables. Parables are meant to disorient us. They're meant to turn ideas completely upside down, completely on their head, and make you go, wait a second, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. And so I want us to go through this journey together in this parable today with that thought in mind. So let's start with verse 11. This is Jesus. He says, there once was a man. In other words, once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. Now this line right here, the first line that Jesus speaks 
is already blowing Hebrew minds. Because what he was talking about in other translations, it says, he said, Father, I demand my inheritance. I want my inheritance. Now, how many know that inheritance, usually you only get inheritance if someone dies? So already Jesus is rocking the world because dad isn't dead yet. And he demands the inheritance. It's a way. Imagine as a Jew, you're like, he just told his dad to drop dead. I mean, that's what's happening here. So he demands this. Now look at the response. If we go through the story in verse 12, it says, so the father divided the property between them. He said, okay, wait a minute. This son demands his inheritance. You're not even dead. He's disrespecting you. And you say, sure, let me divide it up right now. And here you go. Now, as we go through the story, we're going to pick up here in a little bit, but just some background. He packs his bags within a couple days. He goes to a distant country. He's living this, this undisciplined, crazy lifestyle. It's like going to Vegas. I mean, it's parties and prostitutes and just craziness. Well, all of a sudden, he finds himself with no more dough. And when you don't have any more dough in that type of party atmosphere, you have no more friends. Like the friends disappear. You find out who your friends are if you don't have anything to give to them. Is, is that truth? I mean, you know your friends when you're at the lowest of low and they're still there with you, right? So he loses friends, loses all his money. He has nothing left. And he finds a job at a local farm slopping pigs. Now, if you're a Jew, as soon as you heard, what? He's slopping pigs? He's slopping swine? You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pork and Jewish you know, custom do not mix here. So he's at the lowest of low. I mean, he lost all his money. He has no more friends. He's starving. In fact, it says that as he's in the pig pen, one translation said he's aching in his belly for the corn cobs that are in the pig slop. Come on, people. That's starving. I'm not starving. My kids say, I'm starving. I'm like, you are not starving. You don't even know what starvation is, right? You're kind of hungry. And dad's definitely not starving. <laughs> but we feel like we are. He was literally starving. I've never craved pig slop. You know, when you go by farms, has anyone ever noticed like a smell? And if you're a farmer like Farmer Pete, you know, or Farmer Bruce, it's like, yeah, we're used to that. You know, we're used to smelling our own stuff. But, but here's the deal. No, here's the deal is if you go by a cow farm, a dairy farm, chicken farm, you know, it's, it's got that smell. You're like, hmm, earthy, farmy. Have you went by a pig farm? disgusting. We got one up the road from us. And every time I go by, I'm like, Lord Jesus, I love me some bacon, but I don't like the smell of them making the bacon at all. So he's starving. He, he's, he's in this pig slop. And so he gets this idea. He thinks, you know what? In fact, the Bible says that he came to his senses or he came to himself. Now this is a, this is a key phrase. And he started to think about this idea. He says, you know, even my father's servants are getting three square meals a day and they have a roof over their head. And I'm laying around in pig slop with nothing left. So he comes up with this plan. I'm starving. I need food. So he rehearses his speech. Father, I've sinned against God and against you. And if I could just be a servant, he's rehearsing this because he hits this idea. If I could just go home and be a servant, at the very least, I wouldn't be starving anymore. You follow me so far? So it says, he got right up and went home to his father. And I want to pick up in verse 20. It says this, when he was still a long way off, say long way off, his father saw him. Now this is beautiful to me because, you, again, get into Jewish mindset. 
If a son were to disrespect you like that and leave, you better not come back. According to the law, if you were to come back home, the father could drag you out into the city streets and have you stoned. I'm not talking about marijuana. I'm talking about boulders and rocks dropped on you, heads crushed. It was a very sweet way to kill somebody. It really wasn't. That was a joke. But the father could have stoned him according to the law. It says that the father saw him a long way off. That means that the father was scanning the horizon for his son. He was looking for his son. He cared for his son. How do we know this? It says right here, his father saw him. Look what happened. Look at the response of the father. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, in the Greek, that word kissed means to kiss over and over and over. You ever do this to your kids? You just like can't kiss them enough. You just grab a hold and they're like, oh, stop, stop. You're like, oh, you like it. You kiss them over and over and over. And your kid doesn't smell like stinky pig slop either, right? But he kisses them over and over. His heart's pounding inside him. The, the empathy, the compassion, the love that the father has, my son has returned. He runs out to him. And then what does he do? The son immediately starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. Now look at this next line. But the father wasn't listening. And most of us would stop right there and go, that's right. I wouldn't listen either. That little jerk. little disrespectful, you know what. He took his inheritance. He spent it all. Now he's coming back begging me for something. But the story goes on. The reason that he wasn't listening is because he was busy. What was he doing? He was calling to the servants. He didn't even listen to the entire speech. He calls to the servants and he says, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now I want us to get this picture. One translation says the robe, put a robe on his back. This robe in history was called the best robe. It was a robe that they would keep in a special place in the household. And whenever a dignitary or someone of great status would come into the home, they would put this robe on them. Why? For honor. We're showing you honor for being here. The servants ran and got the best robe. And they put the best robe on the back of this son, this prodigal son, this son who had left, who had disowned basically his father. He puts the robe on. He puts the ring on and the sandals on. Here's what he was saying to him. Your status in the family has never changed. And to the Jewish listener at this time, they would have said, whoa, Jesus, where are you going with this? His status never changed. He should be stoned. I know they were thinking it. They would have been the first to pick up stones. This was rattling their cage, wasn't it? But it says that he came to himself. And this is what really stuck out to me this morning as I was going over this. I said, man, Heavenly Father, I mean, this is a picture of you. But here's the son. He's he's not operating according to sonship. He's not acting like this family would act. He's acting something other. Yet he comes to himself and something inside of him experiences while he was growing up must have told him that his father was a forgiver, that his father had love in his heart because any other Jewish boy would have said, the one place I can't go is home because I know what I deserve according to the law. 
But look at the great grace. There was something in the heart of this child as he came to himself. He started to, he started to realize who he was and the family he came from. And he must have thought, my dad's more gracious than that. There's, a, there's some unconditional love in my father's heart for me. I know there is. Otherwise, he would have never gone. Are you picking this up? So not only does he say, hey, your status has never changed in this family. He says, then get a grain-fed heifer, hallelujah, and roast it. Mmm, how many like grain-fed heifer? <laughs> like, I think so. <laughs> how many like beef brisket? So a grain-fed heifer. And he says, we're going to feast. We're going to have wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, now alive, given up for lost, and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Do you see the father's love? Can you see how minds were already disoriented and shifting like, okay, this isn't making sense. I mean, this is, this is a lot of grace. This is a lot of love. This, this was completely undeserved. Yep, that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. And so we're seeing the Father's heart in here. But I want us to continue the story because it doesn't stop there. Verse 25. All this time his older son, say older son, was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Okay, it wasn't just a robe and a ring and sandals and a grain-fed heifer, you know, barbecued beef, a little bit of beef brisket. It was partying and music and dancing. Can you see the father's heart? So excited that the son began to see who he really was when he came to himself. Think about what that means. So the older brother hears this music and this dancing, and he calls over one of the houseboys, and he asks what was going on. This is what the servant said. He says, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. This was his heart, but look at the brother's response. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. Now, I just caught this this morning. Think about this. When the son, the younger son, the prodigal, came up to his dad, fell on his knees, began to give his speech, and said that the father didn't listen to him. Why? His response was instant love and grace. But look at this. The father comes out and tries to talk to his son, and the son doesn't listen to him. Isn't that wild? The son said, without listening to the father, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Look how many years I've stayed here serving you. Look how many times I've got up early and went to church and worked in diaper ministry. Look how many times I showed up early to play in the band that sucks anyway, and I don't even want to be in that band anymore. Look, oh, it doesn't say that. Wait, sorry. Look how many times I've showed up to those community events and I put in my time and didn't even get a pat on the back. I know that's not in there. I'm trying to make a point. He says, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away all your money on whores shows up and you go all out on a feast. It's like, what are you doing, Dad? I'm here. You never threw me and my friends a feast yet. He, I mean, he squandered all the money. He's, he's in parties and hanging out with prostitutes and just doing all this crazy stuff, stuff that we don't even believe or agree with here in this household, and yet you receive him and you throw a party? Look at the father's response. Son, you don't understand. 
How many agree? He didn't understand. He says, you're with me all the time. Look at this. And everything that is mine is yours. You've completely missed the point. He says, but this is a wonderful time. And we had to celebrate this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And he's found. Now, it's interesting that the story stops there. I mean, we don't see what happens with the older brother. But can you see these these two areas that are going in, two areas of contention? We have this prodigal son, and we have this performing son. The prodigal comes back, and he basically just says, I receive your grace, Father, and goes to the party and starts to dance, play music, and eat barbecued beef. The performing son says, what is going on? I've labored and I slave for you. But I want to look at this a little deeper today. I mean, you know, sometimes we can just read scripture. I heard one pastor say this, that we can read scripture right at the surface, or sometimes we can do a flyover to see everything that's going on in context. Sometimes we can dig a little deeper to find out more. Let's dig a little deeper today. Now, in the Greek, the word used for sons, it's also the word used for children. There's two different words that are used. The first one is technon. Say technon. The second one is weos. Say weos. Say, I'm learning Greek today. So you have technon and weos. What is technon? What is weos? In fact, here's a question. Are you a technon or are you a weos? And which one do you want to become? So let's look at these definitions. Here's weos. Weos is a child who's been marked as someone's son or daughter because of the similarity between the parents and the child. Now, we just talked about that earlier. Sometimes we'll do a dad joke or a mom joke or a mannerism. We'll go, that was, that was my dad. That was my mom, right? And sometimes we're like, oh, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? But we us is talking about a child who has matured to the point where there's a similarity between the parents and the child. It goes on to say this. It is a similarity, listen, of facial features character, and attitude. Now, this is huge. The ramifications of this is huge in our life because what are we reflecting? What character and attitude and even facial expressions are we reflecting? That's we, us. Technon, it refers to a newborn baby not yet mature. It talks about a young child, someone who has not matured, not been perfected in different areas of their growth. You follow me so far? So let's look at a couple verses in Romans, Romans 8, 16, to pick this up a little bit, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of dovetail in and wrap it up in this story of the prodigal son and the performing son. Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that beautiful? This word here, children, is technon. If we are his children, technon, we are also God's heirs. What I want us to see here is even if we are in a state of immaturity, acting like babies or baby-like, God never changes our status with him. We are still joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You, you follow me? Now, people here, they go, whoa, 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 man, I, I thought our blessings based on how good we act. If that were the truth, we wouldn't have nothing, folks. Do you follow me? Are actions important? Absolutely. I was talking to a brother about this today. People say things when you preach sometimes and it seems a little too good, a little too gracious. They're like, man, people just going to get away with stuff. And I just have to chuckle and go, nobody gets away with anything. 
If you make dumb decisions, you're going to get dumb consequences. I mean, God is always trying to, through grace, teach us to say no to ungodliness, to teach us to go another way, make a different decision, respond differently. I mean, how many have been there? And how many have went that way and went, wow, things just seem to flow nice? Or you go the opposite direction, you're like, uh-oh, I just cause issues in my family, my marriage, my home, my work. I wish I would have listened to the Holy Spirit. How many have been there? Not just me, right? I'm not the only one that screws up. But, but here's the thing about it. It doesn't change your status. You are still an heir. You just have to mature. So it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children or technon. If we are his children technon, we are also God's heirs. But then Romans 8, 14 says this. Certainly, all who are, this is key, guided by God's spirit are God's we us. Paul talks a lot about walking according to the flesh, the five senses, what we think we should do, how we feel. How I many you know you should never make decisions, especially drastic decisions, in the midst of emotion? Because it's usually wrong. But he also talks about walking according to the Spirit. It says that when you're led by the Spirit, when you're guided by God's Spirit, when you're led by His Spirit, you are God's weos. See, when we're led by the Spirit, this is why it's so key to be led by the Spirit, to follow the Holy Spirit, is suddenly we begin to mature in our life. And then what do we do? We reflect the image of God. We're image bearers of God. I mean, that's who we are to this world. When I I saw this definition, I'm like, okay, this is crazy. So not only will we start to reflect the character and attitude When I saw facial features, this just blew my mind. I'm like, do you realize that people will see God's face in your face? What would happen? What would happen if we started to reflect the true nature and character of God even in our facial features? People would start to see God for who he really was, who he really is, how he really loves the grace he really exudes, the tenderness, the peace, the mercy. Are you following me here? What kind of world would we live in if we actually would follow the Spirit to the point where it became a natural, mature outflow of his character, his attitude, and even our facial expressions? When that person treats you that way, instead of the old facial expression, it's an expression of love and compassion and empathy Because people don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a complete jerk for no reason at all. People deal with hurts, with letdowns, with issues in life, in their soul, some much deeper than others. And that's why this whole life is a journey of allowing God to trade out these lies for truth in our soul so we can walk right. And that's not saying walk right. No, it's walk right. Walk according to who you are, who God has called you to be. You're righteous, holy, pleasing, acceptable. That's who you are. But some of us, we don't know it yet. We haven't awakened to this yet, right? And so the Holy Spirit is, oh, I'm getting excited, aren't I? I get excited because I'm experiencing this in my own life, and it's amazing. There's no more pressure. I don't have to try harder and be more and be better. 
I simply say, Father, you've already put that in my heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're a light. You expose those dark regions and dark areas that I'm even scared of myself. But as I visit those and see those, there's no shame involved. There's healing, restoration, and wholeness. That's what you bring to this relationship. And so that's what we get. Isn't that awesome? So technon are we us. How are we going to live? I was thinking about this. I've got four kids, four grandkids. Wow, that's crazy to think about. We're done for a while because our youngest, well, the next one to have kids, it better not be for at least 10 years, right? <laughs> He's 14. That's why I say that. But, but, you know, when my kids were born, man, I was thinking about this. As a father, how many have kids? What was, can you even explain the feeling when your child was first born? I mean, as you're holding him in your, in your hands, because they're so little, you can literally do that, right? Was there a love that you couldn't contain? I don't get that. They didn't obey you yet? They didn't do anything yet? You just love them? Come on. And then we have an issue that God loves us despite what we do. When my kids do crazy, dumb stuff, I'm frustrated because of the consequences. But my love never changes for them. And I've had to learn how to correct correctly, how to discipline correctly. It's not punishment for the past, it's training for the future. Do I screw up sometimes? Yep. Do I raise my voice sometimes? More than I should. Do I not handle things correctly? Yep. But my Heavenly Father is perfect. And when He disciplines me, it's always training me for my future. Are you picking up on this? Because He loves me. That same feeling when I first held those babies in my hands. Wow. I didn't know there could be this much love for a human being ever. And they didn't do anything. They didn't perform for me. They didn't do a task for me. All they did was exist. You are loved because you exist. Someone needs to hear that today. You are loved because you exist. And your existence is because of the word of God, Jesus Christ, who became flesh. In him we live and move and have our being. The very fact that your animated body, your breath, everything you are is because Christ is in you. Will you awaken to this and say, wow, now I'm starting to see the blueprint for my life. I'm starting to see the plan and the purpose that God has put into my life, and it's a plan for good. And when we see that, we'll start to walk in it. But there was never a pressure for my kids to grow up and grow up now. I mean, I celebrated, oh my gosh, I, I think they almost turned over from their back to their stomach. They did it, yay! It's like so amazing, right? They take one step and the half step and fall, and I go, oh great, when are you going to get this down? You need to be running around. Get some push-ups, man. No! I'm like, oh my gosh, I got, enough, I got a video. And we watched that video a thousand times. They took one step, someone's like, big deal, I can take like 22 in a row. You're like, but this is my child, it's their first experience. We celebrate those moments. And never one time did I say, man, they need to get with it. They need to just do what they're supposed to do. That's the kind of love that the Heavenly Father has towards you and has towards me. So whether you're lost in licentiousness or lost in legalism, 
both ways are futile. The prodigal son was lost in this licentious lifestyle of just, just debauchery and he's spending all his money and partying and prostitutes and whores and this whole deal. And the other side, you have this older son, the eldest son, who was a performer. He was full of legalism. I often say that our life, our journey here is like a road and there's a ditch on either side. On one side, there's a ditch of complete like nothing matters and who cares. On the other side, it's complete legalism and rules. And both sides are dead ends. Do you follow me? Grace isn't a license to sin and do whatever you want. You will suffer the consequences. And the Holy Spirit is always, always beckoning and wooing you to say, come this way. Let's be who you truly are. But on the other side, legalism is saying, hey, God, look, no hands. I'm going to impress you and perform for you. And both sides are ditches. There's a middle ground. In James chapter 4, verse 6, the apostle James said this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resists the proud. Some versions say opposes or opposes the proud. But he gives grace to what? The humble. Now think about this for a minute. The word resists or opposes in the Greek is antitasso. It means this, to range in battle against, to oppose oneself. Now, I want us to picture this because sometimes we picture this angry God who's mad and upset at you and he wants to, you know, get back at you. You deserve judgment and retribution. Do you know God's judgment is called mercy? The word judgment in the New Testament is, it's like 10 or 12 times. And the word judgment, all but one time, speaks of restoration and healing. Judgment is always to bring you to restoration to heal you, to bring wholeness to your life. Only one time does judgment have to do with condemnation, guilt, shame, retribution, and it's us judging each other. Because we don't give each other mercy or grace usually, right? But God's judgment is always, listen to me, always a way to bring us to restoration, healing, and wholeness. That's what discipline does. That's what true and proper discipline does. So it says, God resists the proud. What is resisting? It's saying, no, no, no. This is not the way that we live. You're, you're walking around proud and arrogant based on you know, what you can do and how you measure up. And God instantly puts up a wall to that. Not to you, but to the attitude, to that character, to that facial feature. And he says, no, no, no. This isn't how the kingdom operates. I oppose that idea. Right? I think about my kids when they would come home from school, and uh, for my youngest son, it's the yellow sheet of paper. If I see the yellow sheet of paper, I know something's up. So usually it's talking out loud, being disrespectful, those different things, because we all, we're all growing, right? But when I see that, I don't oppose or resist my son and say, I want nothing to do with you until you straighten up and get better. No, I say, uh uh-uh, uh, I oppose that. We respect people, we listen to our teachers. Uh, We don't speak out of turn. We don't hit our friends. We don't treat people like this. Why? Because in the Baransic household or kingdom, that's not how we operate. So I resist that character. I resist that attitude. You follow me? I resist that facial feature, but I never resist my kid. It's my kid. And so when God resists us, he's saying, listen, I know where this is going to lead you. 
People are living in hell on earth because all the things that God has called them to, they live in direct opposition to it. And God's saying, no, that's not the way to live. That's not kingdom life. If you go this way, I'm not forcing you. My love is wooing you. Why? Because I know what's best for you. This is how God deals with us because he loves us like any good parent. So God resists the problem but gives grace to the humble. Look at this in uh, James, again, James chapter 4, verse 6, Francois de Troyes. I love the mirror Bible. Pick one up. If you don't have one, it's, it's, it's amazing. But here's how he translates this. He says, his gift of grace is in direct opposition to the vanity of the proud mindset of self-effort. Isn't that awesome? Whereby people strive to prove themselves as superior to others. Gift and reward are opposites. Humility attracts grace. Humility attracts grace. Say that with me. Humility attracts grace. Here's the thing. The finished work of Jesus Christ is finished. Grace is already there. There's no prayer that you can pray. There's no thing that you can do to make it become grace. But believing it and humbly approaching it as true makes it true to your life. I mean, you praying a prayer or doing something doesn't suddenly make the finished work happen. It just opens you up to go, wow, I can walk in this. You only walk in what you believe. So if you believe it to be true, guess what? You're going to walk in it. So the grace has always been there, but it's not until we humble ourselves. How many know humble's not bad? Jesus humbled himself. He allowed us to put him on a cross and crucify him. He allowed us to commit deicide, to kill God. And even in the midst of it, he says, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. But then his answer to that death was resurrection. In the resurrection, he was saying, I believe in you, and I believe that you're better than that. I'm going to show you a new way to live through righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom way. And it was, listen, the resurrection, that was his resistance to the way of the world. He's saying, that's not how we function. I allowed you to do this to me so you could see really how bad it's getting. You have so much lost the blueprint for your life. You don't know who you are anymore. And it started with Adam. Adam believed the lie, separation. Adam believed the lie of separation. And because of that, how did he act? Separated. And then at the fall, what does he do? He runs and he hides. But does God flee? No, he comes to Adam. He clothes his shame. He goes out of the garden with him. Even when Cain was about ready to commit the first murder, he says, Cain, Cain, listen, listen. Sin is crouching at your door looking for opportunity like any good father, don't do this. It's not the right way. God never left us. He never separated. The apostle Paul says that we were enemies of God. Then he goes on, comma, in our minds. That's why renewing our mind is so important. So grace doesn't happen because I believed it, and then all of a sudden it happened. No, it was there, but because you believe it, you now walk in it. Do you follow me so far? But how do you obtain grace? Humility. It's saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to humble myself. Can you see the difference? I wanted to show the example of Jesus. Because when we humble ourselves, sometimes it's bad, like, oh, I'm all humble and i got to just fall down. Listen, you're saying your way is better than my way. 
I trust you. I believe you. So I'm going to humble myself. And when we humble ourselves, what happens? We receive grace. So we have two choices. Allow God to bring us to a place of maturity through humility or to stay immature in our pride. So who is who in this story? We've already looked at the story. It doesn't make sense. The Jewish hearers would have been like, Jesus, this is not making sense. But when we look at the specific words that Jesus used for the sons here, this should, this should just rock your world. So who was who in the story? What are the two kinds of sons? Technon and Weas, right? The prodigal was the Weas. I mean, it's in there. Look it up in the Greek. The prodigal was the weas. Now, this should blow your mind, because you're like, no, 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 no. He was the immature one. No. The performer, the eldest son, is called the technon. <laughs> I mean, I read this, and I'm like, okay, you got to help me here, Lord, because even I'm like, I know Jesus is good, but is he that good, right? I know God's grace is good, but that good? But think about it. Even though... The youngest son, the prodigal, left home, demanded you know, his inheritance, did all these crazy things. It says he came to himself. Something in him was like, this isn't what I'm built for. Life back home is different. And I know he didn't quite get it. He was starving and he just wanted to be a servant. He didn't yet see himself as a son. But when he returned humbly, he received grace. Think about this. But then the response of the oldest son was like, no, no, this, this ain't right. This grace is definitely not deserved. I, I felt like the father probably went, uh, that's why it's called grace. And he says, you've been here working so hard. You've been so, think about this. There's a prodigal son. We talk about all the time. He's completely lost. He's lost his identity. He's lost his purpose. But so did the oldest son. He saw himself as a servant. I slave for you. I labor for you. I work so hard for you, and yet you don't throw me a party. And he's like, everything that's mine is yours. It's been here the whole time. You could have had a party every single night, but you missed it. Why? You didn't know your identity. You didn't even see yourself as a son. Why? Because you're a baby and immature. I mean, that is like, seriously, Jesus? The oldest guy, the guy who stayed there, who was faithful, who did all the things he should do. You like that? Air quotes. He is called the baby and immature. I mean, look at the immaturity of the son. But that son, he started to come to himself. He started to realize who he was. He realized if I come back humbly to my father, I know that there's love and there's grace and there's forgiveness involved. And then when the father puts the robe on his back, the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, he receives the grace. And he goes in and he parties. And I'll tell you what, he probably grew up to start to reflect the character, the nature, and the facial features of his father. And I believe that's what God is looking for from us. When we operate under legalism and obligation and I got to do what I got to do so God's okay with me, I got to please God, I got to please people, we're going at it the wrong way and we're just like the older brother, the technon, the immature baby-like one. And I'm not trying to put anyone down. I just want us to assess. You know, sometimes it's hard to, to be honest, isn't it, with ourselves? Where am I in this situation? And if you're someone who struggles with that, if you, if you struggle with performance mode, because how many know that our world's set up for that? If you perform well and you do well, you get the promotion, you'll get the raise, you'll get that position. And am I against hard work? Absolutely not. Not at all. 
I understand you got to work within that system at times, but let's not drag it into the kingdom of God. Let's not drag that mentality and that idea into the kingdom of God and the way that we walk and we journey and how we show grace to ourselves and to others, how we show love to ourselves and to others. Isn't that awesome? So the prodigal was the weas, the performer or the eldest son was the technon. Will we be like the prodigal who came to himself, who came to his senses, and he humbly accepted the father's love? Or will we just live blind to who we really are as we continue in performance mode? Let me give you the answer. Live like the prodigal. Don't take the inheritance and go get a bunch of whores and party, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying live like the prodigal, though, who came to himself, who realized, you know what, when I'm at the lowest, the lowest, sometimes that's where it is. We go, you know what, God? All I have is you. You know me. You understand me. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your peace. I need your wisdom in these situations. I don't want to act that way anymore. I don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to treat my wife or my children like that. I'm sick of flying off the handle. I'm sick of going to the wrong websites and pulling up the pornography. I'm sick of taking that extra drink of alcohol. I'm sick of taking these drugs to make myself feel better. I need you. The answer to addiction is humbling yourself and receiving the grace of God. And when you do, you start to see who you are. You will come to yourself. You'll start to realize who you are, who he truly made you to be, and you will start to walk out a life of righteousness like you've never seen before. And it's almost without effort, folks. It's like, how how am I doing this? Because the greater one is living through you. Amen? I want to read one more scripture here. I was just, I was talking to Pete this morning about this. As I was reading through Romans 8, uh, verse 38, I just want to wrap up with this today. And I want us to think about the love of God. Say the love of God. God. Say this, God is love. love. Because even the love of God doesn't really, I mean, think about it. He is love. It's not just love of him. It's he is love. But look at this. The apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, verse 38. He says, for I am persuaded, listen to this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why did Paul say that death can't even separate you? That's powerful to me. It says no created thing. How many here are a created thing? Even you can't separate yourself from the love of God. You hear me? You can't separate yourself. You can try as hard as you want, but you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. And when we awaken to that, guess what happens? We experience change. We start to see who we really are. We start to walk out the blueprint for our life, and it's a good plan. It's a good purpose. Why? Because God loves us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray today that we saw truth that maybe we haven't seen before. Maybe for some of us, we feel like we are separated. 
And today we saw, wow, it's just something in my mind. I'm believing a lie. You've never separated. Even I can't separate myself from your love toward me. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because you first loved us. We have to awaken to that love that you've already given to us, unconditional, undiluted, something we can't even measure the height, depth, breadth, or width of. And then we begin to love you and to love others. Man, for some of us, just love ourselves. Dear Jesus, help us to see ourselves as good, as righteous, as pleasing and acceptable. We're your child. You love us simply because we exist. I thank you today that we saw the difference between a technon and a we us. And even though they sound funny, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> we us is the way we want to live, to realize that we exist because of you. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the good works, the fruit, it's all put in there by you. It's a done deal. We just have to awaken to it. We have to believe it to walk in it. And so today we choose to say yes to Jesus. We say yes to your way, Jesus. You've already put it in there, but we will awaken just a little more every single day to who you've created us to be. Nothing separates us from your love. Your grace is there. We just have to say yes. I receive it. I humble myself and receive the grace you've already given. If there's anyone here today, you'd say, I've never made a decision for Jesus. What does that mean? It just means that, you know, you hear the story of God's good news of truth, that God loves you, he cares for you, he desires relationship with you, and you simply say, okay, I believe that. I want relationship with God. I want what you're talking about. I want peace in my life. I want joy. I want right relationship with my creator. It's simple. It's just believing it and saying, I receive it. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'll make that decision, I want to pray for you. I thank you for every person here today who's maybe thought this through, and they say, I believe in this way of Jesus. I believe in the love of God and I receive it and now I want to walk and I thank you Holy Spirit you're with them. You're, you're here to guide them and help them in this life and I pray for those who've already made that decision. Those here today who maybe thought they were separated for a moment would realize the truth. They are never separated from your love. They would awaken to that and they would start to walk it out and we thank you for this in Jesus name and everyone said Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.